I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. I went to so many different vets for her. I was prescribed medicine for her stomach. I was given different sorts of kibble for her stomach. Um, Everybody had a different solution. But the one thing that I kept noticing that was constant amongst all of them was when I'd come in with her stomach problems initially, they'd always say, why don't we just cook some home cooked food for her? to get her back on track and then we'll find the food that worked. And I started to realize this this common denominator and I'm like, why aren't they recommending that I just home cook for her every day if it's what's working? That was Brett Podolsky, founder of The Farmer's Dog. Brett will discuss how his dog Jada inspired him to start The Farmer's Dog, the process of going from creating recipes in his kitchen to feeding dogs all around the US, and the importance of feeding your dog fresh food. Now let's get back to Brett. You are the founder of The Farmer's Dog. What is The Farmer's Dog? The Farmer's Dog is a pet health company. Well, better yet, we're we're a pet health service. And what we do is we make freshly cooked dog food that's all customized for each dog and we deliver it by subscription. And what were you doing before Farmer's Dog? Right after college, I went and joined the hedge fund, did the classic finance route that a lot of us New Yorkers do. Realized I really wasn't passionate about finance and I was too young to do something that I wasn't passionate about. And this was the time in my life where I could make mistakes and take risks. I've always wanted to be a stand-up comic my entire life and decided I was gonna do it and started actually performing professionally. I just started getting some gigs up in New York, so I moved up to New York. And essentially her like stomach problems really kind of spiraled out of control when I moved up to New York. Um, And that was essentially the beginning of the story that led to the farmer's dog. And when was that? Essentially, it was pretty much the end of 2012, 13, and then into 2014. And then like the first or second quarter of 2014 was when all of this happened with Jada, where I figured out the solution to her stomach problems and then came the farmer's dog. So touching on that a little bit more, what were the stomach issues and what led you to feel like you could solve it rather than turning to other existing options? Oh, I did not think I could solve it. Honestly, (laughs) I went to so many different vets for her. I was prescribed medicine for her stomach. I was given different sorts of kibble for her stomach. Um, Everybody had a different solution. But the one thing that I kept noticing that was constant amongst all of them was when I'd come in with her stomach problems initially, they'd always say, why don't we just cook some home cooked food for her? to get her back on track and then we'll find the food that worked. And I started to realize this this common denominator and I'm like, why aren't they recommending that I just home cook for her every day if it's what's working? And you know, I, I obviously figured out why and it's because they need to be having a, a balance of vitamins and minerals and they didn't think I was gonna be able to do that by just cooking in my kitchen. Uh, so they had never recommended it, but I was, determined to find a food that did work for her. Because after I saw these unbelievable results in fresh food, I was going to have to feed her something that was fresh and unprocessed after that. And at the time, there wasn't really anything like that on the market. No, there really wasn't, unfortunately. Like it, it was raw, and I tried raw for her. And raw actually worked for a bit. And then she had an episode, and I realized when I looked in the bag that a few of the frozen patties were stuck to each other which made me realize that the cold chain was broken. So these, you know, these patties might've thought out, 
you know, bacteria. And then she had like a pretty, pretty horrible episode. So that kind of made me like lose trust in the whole raw food world. And now I was just, you know, back out there looking for a solution. So at the time you were discovering that home cooking was good, you were doing your stand-up comic work. How did that shift into you actually creating the farmer's dog? When I saw these unbelievable changes in her, I literally was told by a vet, go home and just make fresh food. I was like, what What do I use? And she's like, just whatever dog food you're feeding her, just use the same ingredients, make it yourself this time. And I was like, oh, that's so, such an interesting way to prescribe me to do that. So anyway, I did, and it was just like beef and some vegetables. And in a matter of days, her symptoms disappeared. It was unbelievable. Uh, so anyway, what kind of led to the company was me looking for a brand that I felt comfortable feeding her. And after doing a lot of research, I came across a ton of recalls and found out the industry is pretty much completely unregulated. And that was when I realized that it was going to be very difficult for me to find a company that I trusted for my dog. So anyway, make a long story short, when I realized that there was actually no companies out there that I felt comfortable feeding her, that's when we decided to build that company. And that's really who we are. We're The Farmer's Dog is the company we wish existed for our own dogs. So we decided to build it. And what was that process like once you decided you were going to do it? <laughs> yeah, where to start, right? The first thing that I remember Jonathan and I doing was a cost analysis. We just wanted to get out there and see what was available. What were people willing to pay for? You know, what were brands talking about in their marketing? And what we started to notice was there are the low-end brands, and then there is the perceived to be high-end brands, which typically just because they charge more. And we started to notice that people were willing to pay a lot more for what they thought was healthy, which for us was an incredible opportunity because we looked at this and we said, why don't we make a food that's actually healthier, not just perceived to be, but actually healthier food that you don't have to trust what we're saying on our packaging or anything that comes from the company for that matter. You could just look at the food and it looks like food. It's actual food. And because you could take a brand that you don't trust and then a brand that you do trust. If you turn around and I swap the kibble from one bag to the next, you're not going to know the difference because you're just trusting a company's marketing essentially, because they're just little brown balls, no matter where you buy them from, just one brand you happen to trust more than the other. For us, it's, you don't have to trust anybody. You just trust your, your eyes and you could see that you could see there's carrots and kale and broccoli and uh, meat and so on. So relying on packaging or the ingredient list on a package that isn't regulated is no longer needed. And we don't think, we don't think we should be relying on packaging to tell you the story, you should just trust yourself and feed real food. What we learned from the cost analysis was that people were willing to pay more for food that seemed to be uh, of higher quality. That was like the thing that we really drew from that. And then trying to understand how much food would really cost if you were to make like real fresh food and not be using waste materials. Of course, our food is pretty significantly more expensive, but that's when you're comparing it to kibble, which it's not an apples to apples comparison. We usually will recommend like, if you were to go and get the exact same ingredients we were using and cook them, cook it yourself, it actually ended up being more expensive than our food, which is more of an apples to apples comparison. And how did you go about finding your co-founder? What was he doing before and setting up that initial team to hit the ground running? So Jonathan at the time, he was working at a media brand, but he had also founded a couple of other startups. So he really understood like that zero to one process. So we 
had met abroad and I convinced him that New York City was the place for him. He had only visited New York once before in his life and he came with his family and he was a kid, so he really didn't know what he was missing. And he is such a New Yorker without even realizing it. So anyway, I convinced him to move to New York. He was living in Milan at the time. Oh, wow. I think that's, that's at least where his stuff, I think that's <laughs> at least where his like stuff was. He was, he was, like constantly all over Europe at this stage, just basically building companies. So yeah, so I convinced him to move to New York. I was like, you could literally live with me as long as it takes for you to find the place that's like really comfortable. Um, so yeah, so he was actually staying with me. Watch Jada go from like sick dog eating kibble to dehydrated to raw, to me cooking for her, to me saying, I think I want to start a dog food company. Right off the bat, he was like, I'm in. Like, this is amazing. I think it, the real moment where he like really was all in was, uh, I believe it was when I got us a meeting in a vet office and hearing their reaction to this like idea was like incredible. They were just like, please do this. Dogs really need a food like this. And when are you starting cat food? <laughs> <laughs> Every vet wants to know about cat food because cat's food is like. Is that next for you guys? I mean. Cats need good food too. So yeah, well, we're definitely gonna get there. And for us, operationally, it's really not such a difficult thing to add on cats. But then to go back to our conversation off air, when we were talking about the dog agency, we're the farmer's dog. Right. So there is that brand question of what do we do with the dog in our title? So yeah, something that we need to think about. Maybe we'll, maybe we can chat together <laughs> yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. So you decided you're gonna start this and then how did you figure out the recipes and the creation of the food and figuring out the factories and building out that whole piece of the business. Yeah, so at this stage, we knew the, the key thing about our food, that it needed to be real food, it needed to be fresh food. Other than that, there wasn't much that we knew about what dogs needed nutritionally. Um, so that's when we reached out to a veterinary nutritionist. He was actually the president of the board who certifies veterinary nutritionists at the time. Uh, we reached out to him and we told him the idea and he was super excited about it. And uh, he came on board to help us out with our original recipes. So that's really how we got started. It's like, so essentially what happened was he created recipes and anybody who's listening knows that when you're like in like a, the food world, especially when you need to have like very specific nutrients in something, it never goes to plan. There's so many variables. I mean, if you cook meat for an extra minute, more water evaporates, which makes the density of all the nutrients higher, for instance. So what we needed to do was we took the very specific recipe with nutrients that he gave us, we cooked it, sent it to the lab, obviously found there was things that we needed to tweak. And basically we went through that process of like, we tweak the recipe, we cook it, we send it to the lab, we get the results, and then we tweak until we find the perfect ingredients and the perfect process to match exactly what a dog needs to be eating every day. And were you doing this in your kitchen? When the original like testing of it, just to get the ball rolling, we did in my kitchen, but by the time that we were actually needed to like really create a process and actually like feed dogs that, that weren't <laughs> Jada. Jada's my dog, by the way, if I hadn't mentioned that. <laughs> by the time that we were actually like gonna sell food to somebody or for somebody else to eat, we, we rented out a commercial kitchen space in Brooklyn. And were you cooking it in that space or did you then have other people that were cooking it for you? So we were cooking it there. So I'd say a, almost two years it was for about a year, it was me and Jonathan in the kitchen. And then I hired a kitchen staff because we needed at least one of us to be in the office at all, <laughs> at all times. I hired a kitchen staff and I would be in the kitchen with them. 
it was really just one day a week. Yeah, I'd say it was about a year and a half to two years where we were cooking it ourselves. And then we found a partner who owned a much bigger facility with experts that were able to really take our process and scale it to the next level. Where did the name come from? When you think of the farmer's dog, at least for me, I think that's like the healthiest dog. That's like the ideal lifestyle for a dog to be healthy. They're fresh air, open field, fresh ingredients. They're literally eating right from the source. It's just the perfect environment for a dog. And for us, we want our dogs and everybody eating our food to really embody this like aspirational doggy lifestyle. Were there other names in the running? So what actually led to the creation of the name quite literally was at first we were like, well, maybe we can try to name it after Jada in some way. And a Rottweiler was known as the butcher's dog because they would pull wagons with the meat on them so the butcher could sell the meat. And we realized that the butcher's dog kind of sounded a little rough, almost like violent because like a butcher, you know, it's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, what, what is another really like healthy dog? Like where else could you find the dog that'd be really healthy? And the farm came to mind. So when you're creating other recipes, are they human grade? Can humans eat them as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Our food is to all the safety standards of human food consumption. We source it from super high quality human food distributors and farms. And yeah, and the food is made to like the standard that our food is made. I would gladly eat our food. And I've <laughs> eaten every single recipe on numerous occasions, probably more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> but yeah, I've eaten a lot of dog food in the last few years. We always laugh about this because when we were first making the food, and it was both me and Jonathan in the kitchen, you know, like when you're cooking, you get like, a, you know, you're making pasta or something, you get a little sauce on your finger and you just lick it off. That's what would happen. And, but like, <laughs> like, you know, we'd be making dog food and like a little bit of food would get on our hands and you just lick it off. And then you realize like, oh, wait, that was dog food. But it's the quality is obviously there. So it was totally safe. But just the idea that it was meant for dogs was just funny at the time because nobody had ever heard of a dog food that a human being could eat or would want to eat. But now it's a lot more normal for us. Now we'll, we'll get like, you know, new samples of like maybe like a future recipe that we're working on. And yeah, we'll all take a bite and, you know, <laughs> you know, we don't want it to be like, you know, so we, we use liver and we always, you know, want to make sure it's not too livery, even though the dogs love that. The, the food with the liver in it is not really my favorite. <laughs> I really like our turkey though. Turkey, if you put like a little bit of salt, it's actually perfect. <laughs> Which is the most popular? Our turkey recipe is the most popular. For yeah. humans and dogs? Yeah, for humans and dogs. Yeah, <laughs> definitely in the office. The turkey's the favorite and outside of the office. So yeah, I'd say I like the pork second though. Yeah, the pork is pretty solid. So I feel like around Thanksgiving, people say to not feed your dogs turkey. What is the issue there? One of the big misconceptions that I do hear a lot, like when I'm talking to somebody and I'll say that we make human grade food, they're like, oh, but I thought you're not supposed to feed human food. And when vets say not to feed your dog human food, what they mean is table scraps that may have spices or ingredients that a dog shouldn't be eating and you're better off safe than sorry. But then also for training purposes, you know, you're gonna have a dog that's like on top of you while you're eating. Uh, so it's <laughs> really good to give your dog human grade food with regards to quality, but feeding your dog table scraps is not always recommended unless you know what ingredients they shouldn't be eating and then table scraps are fine. 
when you were starting, how did you go about getting the word out? You used to go to the farmer's market in Union Square, I believe, right? Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, we definitely, I mean, we did everything. I mean, we, we, even when we were like delivering the food, like me and Jonathan literally would like rent a zip car and drive the van around New York City delivering the food. And it happened a couple of times when we'd be driving past Union Square and there's always like people with dogs and like one of us is like jumping out of the car to like <laughs> give them like treats that we had been making at the time or like a sample of the food and telling them about us but yeah i used to go to dog parks and talk about it in the early days it was very much like one-to-one thank god for our customers because they're like incredible and they would talk about us a lot so we grew a lot in weight like when we were not even trying to grow in the very very early days when we were in beta and just really just trying to learn our customers and learn about our product and just kind of build the infrastructure without growing because it was very, very labor intensive at the beginning with me actually in the kitchen with our team. So are there regulations you need to comply with? I know you said that there isn't a lot at the beginning, but what is there? There is the company called AFCO, A-A-F-C-O, and they basically wrote the rule book on what nutrients you should be giving your dog. And there's like a lot of other rules that they've created. But the problem is, is that AFCO doesn't, they're not a government agency, so they don't have, they don't actually govern in any way they're not looking into companies they just kind of wrote a rule book but because they're not enforcing it it's more so like a book of suggestions that Mm. companies can or you know sometimes choose not to follow we obviously followed that book uh very very closely but yeah that's that that's kind of the problem that led to me not being able to trust other dog food companies because i didn't feel like there was like a third party regulating these brands, making sure that when they wrote, you know, and I'm using quotes right now, organic or all natural, or even I've seen brands using the word holistic on their dog food, which doesn't really make any sense for dog food. There was nobody out there making sure that there's actually organic in your food. I don't, you know, I don't know if you're taking a, you know, an organic leaf and dropping it into this big 50 pound bag and that one leaf is organic. So now you feel comfortable throwing the word organic on your packaging. What regulations are there? This was a rule that was changed, I think a year or two ago, the word with the definition of the word with. So if you're in a supermarket and you see like a pre-made beef stew, for instance, and it says this stew is made with beef from your own opinion, how much beef would you say by percentage is the entire contents? I'm guessing very low. Well, let's just say in a hu- in like for human food. <laughs> for human. No, this is just like, you know, you don't have to be right. I'm actually hoping you're very wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would assume most if it's right? presenting it that way. Exactly. Yeah. Like you'd say this is made with beef. And if you're going to bother putting it as like a prominent, yeah. prominent on the packaging, you'd think it's going to be mostly beef. Right. In the pet food industry, for you to be able to write made with beef on your packaging means that it has to have 3% beef. So you can have 3% of the entire contents be beef. And then as big prominent lettering on your bag, say made with beef. So that's just kind of an example of how the regulations in the industry didn't really lead to uh, comfort for me as a pet parent and, a, and as a consumer of dog food. Well, not literally a consumer. <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> I don't know if it was necessarily changed. Maybe, maybe uh, let me fix that wording. That is just 
a new rule that they brought into play where that it has to be at least three percent at least so that's 3%. like a, that's a yeah in the right direction yeah basically <laughs> that little <laughs> yeah i don't know if there was any uh, yeah there might not have been any anything around the word with it yeah. all it could have been like one percent or nothing now when bringing in this rule like hey if pet food companies want to use the word with just make sure it's at least three percent which to me is like why even bother yeah, having the rule? <laughs> exactly it's so crazy it's actually just incentivized oh now there's a rule around it you're just incentivizing people to get as close to the three as possible yeah, that's awful so yeah that's you know it's pretty uh, it's pretty scary <laughs> why aren't there more regulations you know i don't know i have my assumptions that to to regulate an entire industry you're gonna need a lot of people and a lot of money to be able to actually you know execute it at scale properly and I just don't think the, uh, the government has, has much interest in regulating something that people aren't actually consuming. Uh, it's really up to the companies themselves to have the integrity to really care about the dogs and their health and well-being and to do the right thing. Do you want to touch on the new grain-free discussion? Hmm. Yeah. Well, for one, it's 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 like really heartbreaking to see that like so many of these dogs are being affected by by DCM, and you know essentially what that is is dog food not having enough protein. The protein is amino acids, and they need certain amino acids, which are the building blocks of taurine for dogs. And without taurine, DCM is a byproduct essentially of taurine, which is a really horrible issue with their heart. And we've been seeing, I mean, a lot of dogs being affected by it. The whole grain-free trend really exploded over the last few years. And classic pet industry opportunity to really you know exploit this new trend uh, so what a lot of these pet food companies started to do was okay great so we'll take grains out of our food but then we'll add in all of these other ingredients that aren't grains but they're also not villainized ingredients so let's put a ton of legumes and a ton of potato in our food and we could pull out some of the meat because that's the most expensive ingredient and because there's now less meat and less of these amino acids, dogs aren't getting the proper amount to be the building blocks for taurine, which led to this problem. The unfortunate thing is when the FDA announced this, all they mentioned was that there's a direct connection between grain-free food and DCM in dogs. So people start to think, oh my God, it's the grain-free food. It's because there's no grains. Now we should put grains into the food, which is just actually going to make the problem even worse. When in reality, what they really should have been reporting was or waited until they actually had a good understanding for what the problem was. Because it's not, it's actually not just grain-free food. It's any food that's too low in protein. Thank God when you're feeding a fresh food, you know, you could, you could even see how much meat is in a fresh food when you're making it yourself. That's why we always recommend using a food where you could see what's in it, where you're not trusting a company's ingredient label that isn't regulated to tell you what's in the food. How do the nutrition needs vary depending on the type of dog and how do you take that into account? A healthy dog, it doesn't really matter which breed, although Dalmatians have a few nuances to the, to the diets that they'll need sometimes. Every dog that's healthy could eat 
the same nutrient balance. It's when you start getting into certain other problems, like uh, like other health issues, like pancreatitis or different, like you know, high liver count things like that. Then you start needing to, you know, like say reduce fat or change certain nutrient levels in the food. But generally, a healthy dog, no matter what breed, could eat the same complete and balanced diet. For the amount of food based on activity level, age, does that come into account? Yes. Yes. So when you go on our website, you fill all the information out about your dog. Those are some of the variables that we get, that we take into account. The age, the activity level, how much the dog weighs is pretty much like the biggest one, but you can't just go by weight because you could have two dogs that are like say 30 pounds, but one of them's an overweight 30 and the other one is a lean 30. So obviously the overweight 30 shouldn't be eating the same and should get them down to whatever weight they'll be lean at. So these are all things that we do. So when you go on our website, you fill out what their current weight is, but you also fill out what their target weight is. So like we recommend that you speak to your vet and you know your 30 pound dog might actually need to be 25 pounds and then we'll feed them in a way that will get them down to that 25 and where they level out there. And so the process, they come to the site, they fill out the information and then yes, the food it, is sent. Yeah, pretty much as simple as that. So we've developed our own technology where you come into our website, you fill out all the information about your dog. Our algorithm will take all of those variables into account when giving you your feeding plan for your dog. And you basically click confirm and we manage your dog's nutrition for you for the rest of your life. Um, so we'll send you food that is freshly cooked for your dog. It's pre-portioned for their caloric needs. One thing that we realized was, well, obesity is a huge problem with dogs in America. And there's been some studies that have indicated dogs will live 20, 30% longer. And on a 15 year life, or even, you know, some dogs live only 10 years, 20 to 30% is a really, really long time. So yes, yeah, so, we'll, so that the pre-portioning basically limits people from overfeeding, but also keeps you from underfeeding your dog. You always know as soon as that, you know, when that bag's empty, I've, I've done what I needed to do for them. The way the subscription works, because we know exactly how much food you're feeding a day, and we send you exactly X amount, you, the subscription is perfectly timed. So it's not like a magazine where it just arrives once a month and it doesn't take into account how fast or slow you might be reading that magazine. Maybe, you know, if you might read it in a day and maybe you should get another one the next day. <laughs> For us, we take that into account. So we know that Buddy is getting exactly 14 days worth of food or 20 or 50 days worth of food. And then we'll make sure you have a little bit of overlap just in case, you know, the delivery issue or, you know, or you want to give some packs to your friend's dog. Then we always make sure that it's perfectly timed so that you never have too much or too little in your freezer. And how long does the food last? When you receive it? Uh, we we say four months, but we've but we've seen it last over a year. But you'll never have it for longer than the amount of time that we've allotted. So most of our dogs are getting anywhere from, I mean, we have some people who have a really big, you know, two really big dogs in New York City. So they have a tiny freezer and we need to send them food every single week. And then we have some people that have one tiny dog in the Midwest with an extra freezer in their garage. So we could send you three or four months worth of food at a time. And no matter how long you have the food, we'll never send you too much food that it, like, that it will go bad. Your dog will have eaten the food far before the food starts to go bad. And what do you recommend for maybe influencer pets that travel a lot? How does that balance in and how can, can they travel with the food? How do they make that work? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So because our food is fresh, we always recommend just treat it as if 
you cook the food. We don't have any preservatives in it, uh, so just keep it frozen. And your first shipment, we always send an insulated tote bag. I mean, we've had some customers traveling abroad to you know, 10, 15 hour flights and they'll get there and the food is still frozen. So yeah, you could 100% travel with the food. But if you go abroad and you stay there for too long, we won't be able to send you food, but we can give you our DIY recipe that we have on our website. But if you're traveling and you're staying within the country, we have a ton of customers who have vacation homes or they just travel a lot and they'll just tell us, they'll, they'll text message our customer service, say, hey, please send my next shipment to LA or to the Hamptons, for instance, and we will send their next delivery there, basically just kind of catch them right before they arrive, their, their box will arrive. Since you came onto the market, a handful of other similar companies have joined you. How have you dealt with that? Well, we, we actually kind of love it, believe it or not. I think people are always surprised to hear me say that. But for us, the way that we look at it is there's now more marketing dollars being spent to educate people on fresh food. And there's more dogs out there that are gonna be eating fresh food. And our mission is, it's really simple. We want to change the way that people think about feeding their pets. We wanna make the healthiest dog food extremely accessible. So if that means coming to us, wonderful. If you're gonna cook food for your dog, it's still a win for us. And if you're gonna buy food from one of our competitors, as long as you're feeding fresh food, we're happy about it. We're really not so overly competitive you know, with our peers. We just think they're great for, for also serving fresh food. It's as simple as that. Do you think you'll ever expand beyond subscription and be in any retail outlets? Right now, I don't think so. We learn so much from being being able to directly communicate with our customers. You know, when you we, if you look at some of these huge companies, they could be doing billions of dollars in revenue, but they might only have 50 combination of retail stores and distributors. For us, if there's a million dogs eating our food, we have a million customers. And we get to communicate with each and every one of them and really learn about what they love about our product, what they love about our service, what they don't like. I mean, our customer service team is constantly learning and you know, sharing the information with the rest of the company so we could constantly improve. We recently changed our packaging. We learned a few things that customers did and didn't like about our packaging. So we made a small iteration and now all the customers are so happy about the change. So it allows us to one, keep them in contact and develop amazing relationships. We have incredible relationships with our customers there. Like we are obsessed with our customers. They're just the most wonderful people. But then we also get to learn from them, which is just so valuable because for us, I mean, that is our number one strategy is just being obsessed with our customers. And we know that will guide the way for us. And who are your customers? Is it heavy millennial or where? We're actually like really age agnostic, believe it or not. I guess the simplest way to describe our customer is that for one, they have a dog and they understand the power that food has on their health. And that's really it. Are New York and LA big hubs or is it also pretty location agnostic as well? Um, yeah, well, anywhere where there's like population density, we'll see that we have a lot of customers there, definitely a lot in LA and New York, but we actually have customers in all 50, well, no, all the continental, what is that, 48. <laughs> and is it just the US, you don't ship internationally? Yes, only U.S. for right now. Sorry, Are you planning to expand dogs. to Canada or anywhere else soon? Every, every, anything's an option for us. The way we look at it is dogs all over the world need us, whether that starts with us just at least 
getting the education out there where people like that's a you know a, one of the small reasons why we have a DIY on our website. We had people reaching out to us in the early days from other parts of the world, but also people that you know just couldn't budget the food at the time. And we just decided like, you know what, let's just make a simplified version of our recipe and just throw it up online for free. So anybody who wants our food who might not be able to get it could still experience the benefits. And is the international thing a regulation thing or a shipping thing? We just can't ship because we're not using any preservatives. And it would just be very, very expensive to ship overnight to other countries and would probably just be cost prohibitive for most customers. What was that packaging change you made, just out of curiosity? The packaging change, we learned from listening to our customers that for serving, there was little changes that we could make. Better yet, there were some questions around, like, is there ways that we could get the food to fall out of the pack a little bit easier so nothing's getting caught on the walls of the packaging? And then also, just for being able to handle it, we decided that we were going to go with a more narrow packaging with a different sort of poly material that allowed, one, the food to slip out of the bag much easier, but also narrower so people with smaller hands can manage to hold the packs easier and also for serving the food my dogs for instance they get a, a pack in the morning and a pack at night but we have some really small dogs whose pack will last them for two days for instance and you want to be able to cut that bag into portions for you know anywhere from two to four meals um, so and it's much easier to measure when it's more narrow so for people who can't afford the food what do you recommend um, so there's actually a study done by Purdue University where they found that even adding some fresh food to your dog's diet, even a few days a week, will reduce certain types of cancer risks by 90%, which is like unbelievable. So for us, when we heard that, you know, at the time we were, you know, we're only selling full subscriptions, 100% the farmer's dog. Um, but then when we heard that, there was like some real data to prove that you could also get the benefits from feeding partially our food. So what we decided to release was a mixing plan and a topper plan. You could basically go on our website and basically pick your price if it's not if, if the full plan doesn't work. Obviously, we recommend feeding only fresh food. Uh, but if but if it doesn't work for your budget, uh, if you go on our website, fill out the same information, and then you'll get an option at the end to do the mixer or the topper plan where you get to have those exact benefits that the Purdue study indicated. What's the difference between the mixer and the topper? Can you touch on that? Yeah, so the mixing plan is a 50-50 split between our food and then a, whatever other food you're currently feeding. And then the topper plan, it goes down. There's like a few smaller increments, but essentially what it's used as is just the Purdue study talking about adding fresh food to the diet. Um, some people some people sign up and they'll, they'll do that. If it's out of their budget, they'll do it uh, because it's delicious and their dog won't eat just the kibble. So they'll put our food on top and then other customers will do it because they know that they'll get a lot of great benefits from just adding some food to the diet. One of my favorite questions is how your dog has changed your life. What's oh, your short answer to that? My short answer is like, she's literally changed everything about my life. Um, I mean, my entire life is dogs now. Like I mean, I don't know if it could really get better than that. <laughs> I think everybody dreams of just working in an office of dogs and having their life devoted to making dogs healthier. Thank God for Jada because, I mean, if I had never gotten her, thank you, Michaela, for, 
for pushing that along. Yeah, if I had never gotten her and she had never, they always think about like what she went through was like for the betterment of dogs for the rest of time. Now people will finally know processed food is not good. Don't feed your dog processed food every day. People sometimes ask me about like, but why? And I'll try to make an analogy for them to really understand because we've been conditioned for decades to think that dog food is dog food. You know, you don't really think much past it. 10 years ago, five years ago for me, it was like, no, you feed your dog dog food. Um, people don't really think about food. It's just like dog food. It's what it's marketed as. That's what they should be eating. And finally, now we're starting to understand that dogs should be eating food, just like real food. There's no such thing as like dog food. So yeah, she changed literally everything about my life. Uh, thank God for her, seriously. Very lucky to be able to work at a company like The Farmer's Dog. Besides the fact that the mission and what we're doing is so fulfilling, uh, we have right now almost 40 people in the office and each and every one of them is just wonderful. They're just literally the most wonderful people and I'm so lucky to get to spend every day with these people. It's really, really cool. You guys are invited to the office anytime. <laughs> Definitely bring your dogs. In your free time, do you get to do any stand-up still? <laughs> no. Now my stand-up is whoever sits within 10 feet of my desk in the office. That's my audience. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. This was great. No, thank you so much for having me. That was Brett Podolsky, founder of The Farmer's Dog. To learn more, visit thefarmersdog.com. Want even more access to everything pet? Get your ticket to PetCon. PetCon will take place November 17th and 18th at the Javits Center in New York City. PetCon is two days of meet and greets with your favorite Instagram pets, fun activations, insightful panels, a highly curated selection of awesome and innovative products for your shopping pleasure, and of course, lots of adorable, adoptable pets. Tickets are going fast. Make sure to get yours today at petcon.co. That's P-E-T-C-O-N.co. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us an awesome review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. To listen to past episodes, visit petinsider.com slash podcast. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon.